This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be I sit to alone be in my four-cornered room staring at candles. When that shit is on, let me drop some shit like this here. At night I can't sleep. I toss and turn. Candlesticks in the dark. Visions of bodies being burned. Four walls just staring at I'm paranoid sleeping with my finger on the trigger My mother's always stressing I ain't living right But I ain't going out without a fight See every time my eyes close I start sweating and blood starts coming out my nose It's somebody watching the act But I don't know who it is Place to be Nation! Welcome back to another great episode of the one and only Place to be Podcast I'm your co-host Justin Zero coming to you on this Monday evening, it is, of course, inching toward the Halloween season, so we have our usual uh, Halloween music playing in the background. Our next episode will be our Halloween spectacular Scott Criscolo. It's uh, it's here. We're out of the summer, and into the chilly weather, football weather, holiday time, etc., etc. Indeed, sir. Good evening. Good evening, uh, PTB, Wrestling Network loyalists. Welcome to episode 612 of the longest-running episodic motherfucking gold standard. Um, yeah, summer is, uh, in the rearview mirror. We always have fun this time of year, JR, with getting together for holiday, uh, fun things and fun episodes. And, uh, we will, uh, have a pretty exciting, uh, Halloween episode for you, uh, as planned. Hopefully by that mm-hmm. time we get there, I'll figure out how many there are. Cause I don't know. <laughs> we, we always get the anniversary thing wrong with the, uh, PTB treehouse uh, of horrors or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, always good to uh, be with you, sir. Um, I'm looking forward to being with our guest this evening, been a while since I've been on a show with him and, uh, uh, we got a pretty, pretty interesting show tonight as we continue on through, uh, 2008. Uh, I've been really enjoying this run because a lot of things have been surprising me and a lot of stuff I don't remember and stuff from this show. I don't remember either, but, uh, everything good with you. Everything's good in this fall season. Yeah. Yep. Everything's good to go. And, uh, definitely, like you said, excited to talk about a very big show tonight, and we have a very special guest with us. He's been on before, mm-hmm. a couple times, honestly, and he is the co-host of the new Gen on a Mission podcast over the North-South Connection yes. podcast network. Drops every other Tuesday. Him and Mr. Justin Pratt going through the new Gen era of WF, which uh, you and I know very well, Scott, but yes. it uh, yes. kind of picked up really where we left off before we rebooted the timeline. So right. uh, this guy and JP picked up at Survivor Series 92 and have been rolling in uh, almost to Survivor Series 93 now. So they're in the fall of 93. So made a lot of progress. Yep. Uh, but anyway, enough of an intro. It's our buddy, Mr. Tim Slomka. Tim, how are you doing? All that hype for nothing. You on mute? Man, one of the longest intros ever. <laughs> I wore him out. May pass down. Timmy there. Do we lose him? He's muted. It shows he's muted. It shows you're muted. It shows you're muted. 
Can you hear me this time? Yes, oh, we get you now. Yeah. All right, all right. I, we're not starting. Well, appreciate goals, so. it. I know, you're all good. <laughs> I was talking, but you guys are not hearing me. Uh, but thanks for appreciated it. And I forgot that you know what, making our journey on the new generation. We're almost at a year of, of doing it, and it's. I just heard you guys talking about the wrestling war zone that you guys are just past a year. So congrats on that. But uh, it's a slow journey, but it's it's fun to do that. So uh, it takes some time when you really dig into the you know weekly TV. So mm. tons of fun. For sure. And uh, Uncle Doug, it's good to have you with us. Yes. As always, tonight we'll be heading into the summer, late summer of 2008. But before we do that, we're going to head back in time Mm -hmm. to 1994 to cover off on some vintage wrestling and pop culture. And to kick us off, Scott, why don't you tell us what was going on in the world of professional wrestling this week in 1994? Uh, Well, JR, uh, both companies had stuff going on. And uh, both companies were doing TV taping. So why don't we begin with uh, the World Wrestling Federation, who on this date, August 17th, 1994, they were doing a Superstars taping in Portland, Maine at the Civic Mm. Center. So not far away from where you and I are. Mm. Uh, They were taping shows for uh, September 3rd and 10th and 17th. So, wow. Back then, wow, he really went way, way <laughs> out ahead. Um, so we have, uh, I won't go through all the matches, but uh, I'm trying to see if there's any storyline stuff. No, not really. Um, oh, this match. Oh, you know what? Uh, interesting match here that's actually on a tape. Um, Brett pinned Owen in a lumberjack match at 1350 with a roll up after the challenger collided with Jim Neidhart. On the ring apron, Lumberjacks included Neidhart, 123Kid, Jeff Jarrett, Billy and Bart Gunn, the Head Shrinkers, Tom Pritchard, Jimmy Del Rey, Quang, and Well Done. The Challengers originally won the title at 3.06 after Neidhart interfered as Owen was caught in the sharpshooter and clotheslined the champion. However, several of Lumberjacks and other officials had the finish replayed on the big screen so the referee could see what had happened and the match was ordered to continue. It's on Wham Bam Body Slam and Owen Heart of Gold. So that's interesting. I didn't realize that match happened. Uh, let's see. Sean and Diesel defeat a couple of jobbers. Yeah, no, nothing else really crazy, but that was interesting. Uh, WCW, meanwhile, was in their center stage theater on this date for a Saturday night taping. The only things here are on the history of WWE.com. Uh, the Long Riders debuted. Who the hell were the Long Riders? Wasn't that uh, Dutch Mantel? No. I forget. It was something like that. The only long riders I know were in world class in the eighties. And that was, uh, that was the Irwin's, uh, yeah. oh, no, that was the world class ones. Yeah. The world class ones, world, uh, Scott or uh, Scott and Bill Irwin. I don't think it's the same guys though. No. Uh, not. Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, uh the guardian, the guardian angel, which is of course big boss man defeated Tex Lozenger, which is of course Henry Godwin and Steve Austin pinned Terry Taylor. I'm sure he got a great pleasure in that. So that was just some of the matches on that WCW Saturday night taping from this theater. On this date, uh, September, I'm sorry, uh, August 17th, 1994. So uh, that's it for me on the house show uh, circuit. Uh, JR, why don't we fire up a little herb? What's going on? I think it, I think it was the Irwins and WCW, too. I think oh, it was? It was okay. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Makes sense. All right. We got uh, three batches of herbs for you here, Uncle Doug. Let's dive in. August 4th. We got fa- Go ahead. Let's say we got face versus or taker versus taker. So I hope we get some good stuff here. <laughs> we should. Yes. August 4th, 1994. Uh, he apologized for not posting last week as part of his PhD program. He had to write a proposal and defend it against a comprehensive oral examination. So he talks a little bit about that. 
Uh, as a bonus for a job well done, he gets to teach 1A calculus to 100 new science students in September. All right. Vince McMahon has escaped his conspiracy to distribute anabolic steroids trial unscathed. After dismissing duplicate charges against Titan Sports and Vince McMahon, just three charges remained against Vince. The two related to distributing steroids to Hulk Hogan were tossed out because the government failed to show any evidence that this action occurred during trial in the trial district. The final conspiracy charge went to jury, with a not guilty verdict being returned after 16 hours of deliberation. Vince is talking about suing the government for harassment. The government can still try to get Vince on distribution charges in another court, but has to hurry before the statute of limitations run out. All in all, an event that had the power to change the face of wrestling has fizzled and will do absolutely nothing. It did leave us with perhaps the quote of the week. I say perhaps because another fantastic quote is coming soon. From Vince, I'm elated. Just like in wrestling, in the end, the good guys always win. This should probably come later, but I think it's so funny I wanted to put it near the top. I've been reading Old Observers from 1984. Came across a great picture that gives me my quote. It's a picture of Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk on an all-Japan tour wearing T-shirts that plug Weekly Pro Wrestling. The T-shirt has Weekly Pro Wrestling written on it. Some con- kanji characters that especially like the characters you see on All Japan and New Japan. And a graphic of one mass wrestler with another. I don't know. I, I, he's lost me with this story. So I don't, <laughs> what is he talking about? I don't know. He's going on and on about this Meltzer classic observer. So we're skipping ahead. WCW's Bash of the Beach you're in the neighborhood of a 1.0 buy rate. One of the Toronto newspapers actually called us the best pay-per-view of the year. The results have already been bashed to death on the net. Flair lost the unified world title to Hulk Hogan. Dave Meltzer rated the match three and a quarter and said Ricky Steamboat was the best performer on the show in his match against Steve Austin. Apologies to those of you who think three-arm drags in 20 minutes is too much. And somewhat of a surprise, Sting, who had been pulled from his match with Steve Regal and replaced by Johnny B. Bad due to an eye injury, did not appear in Bad's corner as been advertised because they planned to set up Antonio Inoki versus Steven Regal. They had to put Regal over somehow. Having Regal cheat to win in front of one of the company's top baby faces wouldn't do, so they pulled Sting from the story, saying that doctors prevented him from appearing. So where do they go from here? Flair versus Hogan will be featured on Clash of the Champions in three weeks. Airing this match on free TV makes me think, or makes everybody think something major will happen. Maybe Flair regains the title. The scheduled main event for September pay-per-view besides War Games is Flair versus Sting versus Vader in a triangular match. If Flair wins the belt, we could think of this as him taking on two neglected contenders simultaneously to regain some credibility that, after all, is of his heel uh, tactics. If he doesn't have the belt at that time, they could hype it as a match to decide the number one contender to Hogan. Either way, the triangular match has a lot of promise on paper. I will be attending Smoky Mountain Wrestling's Fan Week tomorrow from August 5th to August 13th. As a result, there'll be no post next week. I suppose it's natural to expect a report on the event after I get back. He runs on the uh, listing of that event. Speaking of Smoky Mountain, there's talk that Cactus Jack will be there after leaving WCW in September. There was a the talk that he would be going to ECW originally. And of course he would. The Bob Backlund heel turn aired on Superstars this past weekend. The match, Bob versus Bret Hart, is watchable and even made sort of interesting with Jim Ross's excellent commentary. Backlund will have to do a lot to gain any cre- credibility as a top-tier star in the WWF. Of course, uh, I've covered that match many places, including a Pod Blast breakdown on it on the North-South Connection if you search it. I love it. It's one of my favorite Superstars matches mm. ever. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan worked center stage taping for WCW. There's mixed messages about well, he'll actually become part of the North American WCW product. Jimmy Hart's also trying to bring in the Honky Tonk Man. Clash of Champions on August 24th. I previously had this listed as 825. That's even with the newly arrived cable guide says. But WCW's advertising for the 24th. They made a last-minute location change from St. Paul to Cedar Rapids. The lineup is Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan for the world title. Paul Roma and Paul Orndorff versus the Nasty Boys for the tag titles. Steve Austin versus Ricky Steamboat for the U.S. title. 
Dusty Rhodes and Dustin Rhodes versus Bunkhouse Buck and Terry Funk. Steve Regal versus Antonio Inoki. And the five matches in two hours should fit nicely. Hopefully, it'll give Inoki five minutes to beat Regal with the octopus. They aired a clip of Dusty Rhodes entering the ring to beat up Buck and Colonel Parker before everyone stormed the ring. Afterwards, Dusty did a pretty emotional interview asking to be Dustin's partner at the clash. Maybe he'll stand on the apron except for short bursts, we can hope. WCW is a tag match this entire night this weekend. Ric Flair and Steve Austin versus Ricky Steamboat and Sting. The match was four stars. It was given a fair amount of time, about a half hour. And it was Steamboat dropping a lame pin to Austin amidst much confusion. Afterwards, Steamboat did an interview about Austin. And this coming week, Saturday night, will be live and interactive. So my bet is they will try and steer you to vote Austin versus Steamboat. That match could help set up the clash match as well before the two, between the two. They've been plugging the voting this past weekend, so maybe they'll make about 10K off the deal. SummerSlam, August 29th, Owen Hart versus Bret Hart in a cage, Diesel versus Razor Ramon, Undertaker Mark Calloway versus Undertaker Brian Lee, and Tatanka versus Lex Luger. The WF is promoting the Undertaker-Undertaker match very strangely, in my opinion, hiring Leslie Nielsen to do skits trying to solve the confusion of having two Undertakers reduced as a supernatural storyline to a comedy one. One is no worse than the other, I guess. It's also say bet we'll see Lundra Blaze versus Bull Nakano, and maybe a Mabel and Typhoon versus Yokozuna and Crush rematch. Oh, God. <laughs> WCW embarks on a European tour September 1st to the 14th, hitting Germany and England. Makes me think Hulk Hogan will be keeping the title at the Clash. All the WCW stars you expect will be part of the tour, and Jim Duggan is also advertised as appearing. Hence the confusion about Duggan returning to just North America. Fall Brawl 918, Funk, Buck, Anderson, and Ming versus Rhodes, Rhodes, and the Nasty Boys in War Games, and the triangular match, Ding, Flair, and Vader. On Halloween Havoc, October 23rd, tentatively lineup is Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair for the world title. In a cage, Meltzer reports have been some publicity released that states Flair will retire if he doesn't win the title back, which leads to some confusing figuring out confusion to figure out the storyline that Flair will follow. All right, a lot going on there, Tim. Any thoughts on this batch of herb? I'm just liking these crapping on the Undertaker versus Undertaker. So I, you know, it's an all-time bad, you know, moment at SummerSlam, but I like that he's calling it out. As <laughs> uh, already thinking it's bad, which I never thought he would like, anyways. Have you got anything? Oh, I I just love the reminding of Bull Naka Naka No. She would have made that show infinitely better than getting a Yokozuna Crush tag rematch or something. But I like how he says. I like how uh, uh, when he was talking about like the Clash, there's a good chance that Hogan will retain the title. You think? <laughs> Going out on a limb, yes. I mean, Jesus, I mean, it's not that hard. I think he only, he's only had the belt for a couple months. I mean, he's good luck uh, trying to think you're going to get any losses out of that. But um, nah, that's about it. The usual kind of thing, you know. I like he's, he made it. He made it sound like his teaching the kids was like he was Dean Douglas or something. I have to present. I have to present this evil report. It's, like, it's really very dramatic. All right, I lied. We only got two here tonight uh, because he did miss that week in between. So it's our final one of the evening, August nineteenth, nineteen ninety four. I'm not going to read all this. He gives a very thorough report from his visit to Smoky Mountain Wrestling's Fan Week. Uh, he breaks down like every step of the way, his transportation, how long it took. He switched flights in Cincinnati. Like, I mean, just everything. He runs down the full card of the show. He saw they had lunch at Hooters, a place like this would not be accepted in our neck of the woods. He says, about Hooters. <laughs> uh, I mean, he breaks down like everything, like right down to high-fiving fans about some joke. Um, this is the show. Chris Jericho broke his arm. Uh, the week Chris Jericho broke his arm, which is uh, a pretty well-known injury uh, and a nasty match that they have as part of it. Where he's hurt. Uh, so again, he runs out of the card the second night, the third night. 
uh, talks about just everything that they did, the TV and all this. Stuff. I mean, it's a super lengthy report. So if anyone's interested in what Smokey Mountain Family is all about, like her, I mean, this is like thousands of words, just breaking down its entire trip. And that's it. There's actually no notes or anything else. So sorry, Tim, I figure you kind of got hosed tonight, but uh, uh, th- at least that first herb was, was pretty uh, jam packed. Yeah. Did it sound like there was any good matches from that uh, or no? Uh, I didn't. I didn't read it. Definitely. Anywhere, I don't know. There's anything that would be interesting, like it, but didn't know. In between all his tra- transportation issues, didn't know if he caught any matches. <laughs> Smoky Mountain was pretty. I mean, they would have some pretty good stuff, so I'm sure there was something worth watching in there somewhere yeah. along the way. All right, so that that does it for Herb, uh, and that's that for our classic wrestling segment, uh, Uncle Doug, and you know. It wasn't that long ago we were in Las Vegas together, and yes. you yes. helped me out. I was hobbling on crutches, driving around a motorized cart, you know, had a few bottles of wine, <laughs> looked over to you in the suite and thought, man, Uncle Doug, Tim Slumpcat, I'll make love to you. That's how, that's how, <laughs> that's how good I felt, <laughs> hanging out with you on that bus, <laughs> our time together playing beer pong. I was ready to go for you. Also ready to go, our boys to men, the number two song in the nation this week in 94. I'll make love to you, Scott Criscolo, with our pop culture corner. Wow. Uh, Uncle Dougie when he had all those, all those meds in him. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, yes. Uh, I'll Make Love to You was number two on the Billboard uh, Hot 100 for the week ending uh, August 20th, uh, 1994, because Stay by Lisa Loeb, still number one. Uh, three weeks at number one at this point. Uh Pretty much this, almost the same songs we've kind of seen over the past, over the summer, JR. Uh, Fantastic Voyage by Coolio at three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wild Night by John Mellencamp is at four. I Swear, which seems to have been on the charts since fucking February, uh, is at five. Can You Feel the Love Tonight from The Lion King by Elton John at six. Functified by The Brat at seven. Don't Turn Around by Ace of Base at eight. Anytime, Anyplace, and On and On by Janet Jackson at nine. And When Can I See You by Babyface hmm. at ten, so been a pretty uh, steady um, Billboard for the summer. Pretty much the same kind of solid R and B, R and B hip hop stuff. But it's been a good summer in that aspect. Ton uh, of bangers. That was great. Great list. Ton of bangers. Uh, the movies this week also bangers. Uh, good stuff uh, that came out the weekend of August nineteenth, close nineteen ninety four. Uh, at number eight, The Client, a good, solid John Grisham movie. The Lion King, speaking of, at number seven, raking in almost 200 and, over $247 million at this point, 10 weeks in release. Uh, in the Army Now, which was a Walt Disney movie, made its uh, debut that weekend. And then this top five is pretty, well, except for one movie, this top five is pretty killer. True Lies at five. Uh, the Little Rascals, which I totally forget about they did a movie, uh, at four. Uh, the Mask at number three. Forrest Gump at number two and the number one movie of the weekend, Clear and Present Danger, the second 
third Jack Ryan movie overall, the second Jack Ryan movie uh, with Harrison Ford, except hmm. he was dealing with the was it the Colombians? I think it was the Colombian drug cartel. The first movie, Patriot Games, he was dealing with the IRA. I think the second one was I think it was Colombian drug cartel. Anyway, solid 1994 fair there. For uh, were you a big fan of any of these movies, uh, Timmy? Strike out at you. Oh, Forrest Gump. I mean, that's just all time. Love mm. that one. So that'd be my favorite. I, I like The Mask too. I think that's like it's a good underwritten uh, Jim Carrey. Quick. I mean, it's got to be like 110 minutes if, if that. It's like really mm-hmm. quick. You know, easy watch. So right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Did I ask you, Jr. Were you a Mask fan? I don't know if I asked you on the last episode. Did you like that movie? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a good one. I, I don't. It's not my favorite Jim Carrey one, but it's it's quite good. Mm. I liked it. I liked it. I, I I think for that early era, I think Ace Ventura was better. Yes. But uh, but but the mask is solid. The mask is solid. Uh, and then on this date, August seventeenth, nineteen ninety four, on the diamond, nothing, because we all know what happened. <sighs> the end of July in 1994, one of the worst crimes mm-hmm. in the history of Breaking sports crimes. for us as fans, the strike happened. And not only do we lose baseball, and we'll get into it again, JR, when we hit uh, Unforgiven, and probably No Mercy, uh, no regular season, no postseason. Awful. So, so guys, this is what the standings were like when everything ended. JR, mm-hmm. I know you're going to get very upset at this. When the season stopped, the New York Yankees, with the best record in the American League, at 70 and 43. They had a six and a half game lead on the Orioles. The White Sox led the Central by a game over the Indians uh, and four over the Royals. And this, here's the thing, Jared. We've been talking about it all the whole time. Texas was leading the West by a game over Oakland. They were 10 games under 500. <laughs> <laughs> they were 50, 62, uh, 52 and 62. Uh, in the NL, in the National League, the team with the best record in Major League Baseball, Montreal Expos, 74 and 40. They had a six game lead over the Braves. Uh, the Reds were leading the Central by a half game over the Astros. And the Dodgers at two games over 500. God, the West, the California, the fucking West teams mm-hmm. sucked in 94. Uh, Dodgers with a three and a half game lead over the Giants. Well, the Astros, like the Reds and Astros, too, like having a that battle. I mean, the Astros end up being crappy for a while. They, they bounced back a little bit in the late 90s. But right. Um, yeah, well, like that, that's that's. Like I a pretty, big year for them to get wasted. Yeah, that was the. I think that was the year that uh, Bagwell won the MVP. Ninety four. Ninety four. Yeah. I think. I thought. I think it's because I. I'm pretty sure he. That was the year he won the NL MVP. The strike year. I'll have to. I'll have to take a look at that. Let me see. I know they yeah. made the playoffs again in like '98 or whatever. I think when the, see, the 19, other Padres make it, but 1994 Astros. But the uh, Reds too, obviously, they're good for a little bit longer. Like they make the playoffs a couple times in the mid '90s, but uh, yeah, I mean, it sucked. Like it was, it was especially tough as a Yankee fan because they had been middling, you know, since the late '80s. '93, mm-hmm. they had a pretty good year, but not enough to really get anywhere. So like it was like, oh, here we go, we're finally up and running, and then that wait to 95 to see if they were going to be as good again was it was a rough one like that was a long road and i you know i had been a fan for a while but it was really like 93 is when i started to 
you know, I was 12. I really started to like get into it and pay attention mm. and follow every game as much as I could. So that was, that was a tough one for me. I was like really shattered when they went on strike and lost that. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, Bagwell, I think definitely won the MVP because he hit 368 with 39 homers and 116 RBIs when the strike happened. So mm-hmm. I definitely think he won the NL MVP and uh, gotta say probably junior. I would think what was his numbers in 94? I mean, they were terrible. They were 40. The Mariners were 49 and 63, but junior, junior, uh, uh, 323, 40 homers, 90 ribbies. Mm-hmm. I feel like that wasn't MVP numbers, but how about Frank Thomas? Frankie probably had a great year. I must, I must say Frank Thomas. He, I think he won in 93. Yeah, he definitely so won in 93. Yeah, he definitely yeah, won in 93. So- I mean, that was the tough, I mean, that's tough from Chicago. The, the White Sox were right there. I remember they, you know, just got defeated by Toronto the year before in the playoffs. And sometimes it happens, right? You get knocked down and the next year, you end up winning it all and just mm-hmm. had that season cut short yep. and it just threw them off. They can never get it going again. Yeah. I, I think he won the MVP because he hit, he was at 353, 38 homers, 101 RBIs. So I think, uh, I think he, I think he won the MVP in 94. Um, so if I look at the standings now, uh, in the AL, the wild card looked like it would have been Cleveland. So the Yankees would have – now, how, how bullshit is this? The Yankees would have played Cleveland in the division series because they were the wild card team. The White Sox would have played Texas, who probably was – who was worse than the wild card team in the division series. In the National League, I think – weren't they doing the thing where where uh, two teams in the same division couldn't play in the wild card or couldn't play in the division series? Yeah, that was yeah. early on, yeah. Right, such bullshit, so, yeah. Yeah, because that because they didn't want the well, that was a TV thing because they didn't want the Yankees and Red Sox wasting themselves on a fucking division series. And well, it was also the dumb shit where in 95 in the first year, it might only be for one year. The home team got the last three games. Yes. Yeah. Versus the first two, um, which was so stupid. Like it definitely burned a couple teams that, you know, had two home games and then like, well, yeah, no, no. I mean, it should have helped them. They just blew the game because they no, won. Burned the, I'm saying it burned the Yankees because. No, it shouldn't have, though. They were. Yeah, but what I'm saying is they they actually benefited from it, even though they lost the series because they got to go 2-0 and at home. And then you just got oh, right. the one on the road, right? Like, I think it was Red. the Red Sox ended up getting swept by Cleveland, I think. And they played the first two in Cleveland. The first two should have been at Fenway, right? If you if you go by future rules, it's like 2-2-1 or whatever. It's right. It was such an unfair advantage to the favorite team to have to play the first two on the road and likely go down Oh two. And then, well, okay, you get three at home. You're going to win three in a row. So it was right. a dumb idea. I think they only do it one year. I think they fixed it by 96, but yeah. Cause I remember the big deal they made when, when the, it, when the Rockies played Atlanta and they had like the first, that game one at Coors field, the place was mm-hmm. fucking nuts. Yeah. I remember that. So yeah. So it would have been Yankees, Indians and white Sox Rangers in the AL and the NL would have been because the Expos couldn't play the Braves. It would have been Expo. So I guess it would have been the lowest division yeah, or the worst of the other two. Yeah. So it would have been Expos Dodgers and uh, Braves Reds in the national league. Mm. If playoffs started that way, I, I, I thought, and I keep saying to this day, I think an Expos Yankee series would have been absolutely fascinating to watch. Yeah. Uh, because he, the Expos had all those lefty hitters, Delano DeShields, Marquise Grissom, Larry Walker. Like, their lineup was so fucking weird. Mm-hmm. And I think, the, I think the Yankees would have had some problems. That would have been a fun series. Um, 
I feel like that manifested itself like nine years later when the Yankees played the Marlins. Like it was just a weird team that the Yankees just couldn't right. wrap their heads around. I feel like that series, I don't know who would have won, but I think it would have been fascinating to watch. But guess what? We didn't. Fuck you, Donald Fair, and fuck you, Faye Vincent, and fuck all of you. Mm. All right. Uh, because of that, uh, that is it for a okay. abbreviated uh, pop culture corner, Jaren. All right. Be sure to check out everything we have to offer across all of our family of podcast networks, the North-South Connection Podcast Network, Place of Nation, Pop Experience, and, of course, the network you listen to right now, the Place of Nation Wrestling Network. We have tons of great content across all three uh, evergreen shows. We have timely shows uh, touching on all aspects of sports, pop culture, entertainment. Uh, we have shows dropping pretty much daily across everything. If you subscribe to them all. So be sure to rate, review, share. Leave a note, leave some kind words, send it to a friend. We appreciate all of the love. Uh, absolutely. Also, one more thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Make sure you continue to work on your uh, our long stretch project, the uh, revisiting your greatest uh, GWWE top uh, 100 uh, superstars of all time. Tim, did you do a did you do a ballot five years ago? I didn't. I did not do one five years ago, but I'm working on one for this time. Good. So, Very good. Good. Yes. Good. Uh, yeah, I definitely you and I, uh, Jr. we did the show with um, mm -hmm. with Will. Um, I definitely there's going to be some movement in my top 10. Not a huge amount, but a little bit. But on the on the middle, there's going to be guys totally gone and absolutely, absolutely, you know, fresh guys in. So I think a lot of people's ballots probably from like 25 to like 75 are going to look completely different. I think you're going to see a lot of I think we're going to have a crazy ballot in the middle. I think the top 10 might have a little change but maybe not anyway get your ballot keep doing keep going to the uh to the to our facebook page get some nomination talk going uh about guys that maybe we didn't have five years ago or guys that should be pushed down or pushed out or added or moved up uh can randy savage repeat on the ptb composite ballot as the greatest wwef superstar of all time so let's see uh it's uh you got about what a uh, little about three months a little less than three months ballot is due on New Year's Eve, get it in, and, uh, and then we will we will uh, tally, and then throughout two, uh, throughout 2023, we will count it down on placementation.com, and we will do a ton of uh, shows all over our feeds here on the PTB Wrestling Network feed, of course, over on the No-So. Guys will have some awesome shows as well, and we'll have some fun. And then we'll think about what to do uh, for, your, for our uh, year-long homework in 2023, JR. Got some, we got some things spinning. Okay. Uh, so there you go. Uh, all the all the great stuff you can find here uh, in the quad uh, on the ether. All right. Well, let's go ahead and fast forward 14 years now on our timeline to talk about SummerSlam 2008. Coming at you live on August 17th, 2008, from the Conseco Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, Indiana. Attendance of 15,997, a buy rate of 477,000 buys. And uh, it doesn't feel like a very SummerSlam-y venue, Indianapolis, but they make <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, yeah. 
felt a lot. We're right on the doorstep of the uh, L.A. Super Run that we're about to get to, I believe, right? This is uh, the last yes. one before that. Yeah, so. Yep, yep, you'll be reading it. Uh, and, and the intros, too, they did, like, the Blockbuster theme. I literally thought it was in L.A., the way they talk about Yeah, the that's what it felt like. I was so yeah. confused, and I'm like, wait, this is indie? I'm like, I had to rewatch it to confirm. Like, why are they doing this for indie? So it was really weird. It was odd. Uh, all right, some notes about the show itself. It's the 21st edition of SummerSlam. It's the first SummerSlam to be in high definition. It's Indiana's fourth pay-per-view, all of them having been held in Indianapolis. The last one here was Grand Rick and Bash 2006. Of course, also WrestleMania 8, right? And yep. Buried uh, Alive, I believe, 1996. In your house, right? Buried Alive, correct. Yep. Uh, starting 2009 until 2019, SummerSlam is going to take place at Staples Center in L.A., or the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. So, yes, so it's a long stretch here of either L.A. or Brooklyn begins after this one mm-hmm. kicks off. The first pay-per-view to be held in the uh, after Dirty had transitioned from TV 14 to TV PG, officially kicking off the PG era. On July 28, 2008, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon's second child, Murphy Claire Levesque, was born. On August 3rd, Ric Flair quit WWE. So we'll see if he comes back. Something tells me he will. Uh, a few days later, Chris Harris, also known as Braden Walker, was yeah. released. Uh, and that's a bit of a reassurance, uh, guys, because our buddy, Mr. Bob Colling, mm-hmm. over on his TNA podcast, Crossing the Line, actually interviewed Chris Harris uh, on a recent episode. So. Uh, it's his first interview on that show. Him and his buddy Dallas recorded that. Should be, if it hasn't dropped yet, it should be dropping. So shout out to Bob and uh, Braden Walker, the Wildcat, Chris Harris. You can check that out. Mm-hmm. A day later, uh, we had another big house cleaning. Nunzio, Big Daddy V, Shannon Moore, James Curtis, Domino, and Nick Patrick were all released. Hmm. Free Nick Patrick. Uh, hmm. Big Daddy V is a shocking one there, Scott, because we've we've seen a lot of him in this run so far. He's been pretty well pushed in the ECW title division. So that that's actually surprising. It was. I mean, he was just on that. Wasn't he just on that Serence? Oh, I don't know if he was on that Serence main event. I feel like he just was. Maybe mm-hmm. not. But he was definitely at the bash, I think, right, in July. And, again, he was getting ECW title shots and everything. He was, like, all over the place. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is very, very strange that he would just get cut loose. They probably just start thinning that roster a little bit, which is probably a good thing. We've been talking about it a lot. On August 10th, Randy Orton rebroke his collarbone in a motorcycle accident. So looks like his rehab is going to get stretched out a little bit more after the what injury. What an idiot. I know. It sucks. <laughs> a few pay-per-views ago. And then more releases happened a week later on the 15th. Stevie Richards, Colin Delaney. After the big turn, Tommy Dreamer <laughs> yeah, is gone. Pretty much. Uh, the Highlanders, Cherry, and Wes Adams referee were all released. Oh, poor Cherry. I love Cherry. Uh, so did Neil Diamond. All right. Dark match on the night. The big show took on Bam Neely, who had got Java Guerrero in his corner. <laughs> and uh, then we get into the show itself. Tim, you mentioned it. We get the cool kind of summer blockbuster style movie opening covering all the top feuds. All of the announcers are with us as usual. They weigh in and welcome us to Conseco Fieldhouse. And they remind us that we have a huge match tonight. John Cena takes on Batista, a match six years in the making. Mm-hmm. We will get to that. But first, we have our opener, which is Jeff Hardy taking on MVP. Scott, how do we arrive here? Uh, Well, uh, JR, on the 725 SmackDown, Jeff was a guest on the VIP Lounge, and MVP brought up Hardy's recent suspension and missing WrestleMania, as well as the house fire that led to the death of his dog, Jack. And he called Jeff restless, though Jeff said he deserved a second chance Mm -hmm. as he scared MVP from the ring. Uh, later that night, the two men would take part in a battle royal with Jeff eliminating MVP from the match. On the 8-1 SmackDown, 
Uh, MVP talked about having Jeff on the VIP last week and said he would never be WWE champion and he would defeat Jimmy Wang Yang in a squash as Jeff came out and watched. After the match, Jeff threatened MVP by telling him not to bring up his personal life again and he would fend off an attack from MVP as he said MVP made him sick. Later that night, MVP would cost Jeff a match against the great Kali and would pose over him at the end of the match. On the, uh, as I mentioned, the 8-2 Saturday night's main event, MVP would cost Jeff a match against Edge. On the 8-8 SmackDown, MVP talked about costing Jeff his match on Saturday's main event. And later that night, Jeff defeated Shelton Benjamin by DQ when MVP interfered and kicked Jeff in the face. And finally, on the go-home SmackDown on the 15th, this match was made as Jeff again defeated Benjamin by DQ and MVP attacked him, though he would hit Benjamin by mistake. And Jeff gave MVP the twist of fate and swan Tom before doing the same to Benjamin. Later that night, MVP cut a promo as he said he had tried to help Jeff, though now he vowed to bury him at SummerSlam. And that's where we are. All right. <clears throat> Let's head into the ring then. We have a SmackDown team of Jim Ross and Taz. Taz has been elevated off ECW to replace Mick Foley, who has now left the company after the attack by Edge. Uh, they recap the issues, and it's a pretty good match. Two guys have had strong couple of years here, poised for breakouts. Big pop for Hardy, as always. MVP swagger is on point. Really feels like an elevation match for both guys, but one that could also propel the winner. Hardy gets a hot start, runs through some offense. The crowd is loudly behind him. JR and Taz pretty good here explaining the attack of MVP and the thoughts about Hardy being reckless, why it takes more than that to take out Hardy's heart. Hardy keeps MVP grounded with some arm work, but the tide turns. We get a snap belly to belly from MVP that sends Hardy into the buckle. That was a really nice looking spot. MVP focuses the attack on the neck and back, weaving in submissions and strikes, grinding down Hardy, punching at the nose as well when in the hold. MVP works the neck and the back. Some more, ensuring every move is zeroed in. Taz even calls out his strong style during this. Hardy finds a gap and comes back, but gets cut off with an MVP. Uh, kicks him across the ring during a slinging dropkick. Awesome bump from Hardy. Hardy comes right back and counters a boot and hammers away. MVP keeps countering all Hardy's slinging offense with power spots, but Hardy eventually hits the whisper in the wind. He goes up top, but out comes Shelton Benjamin. He's out on the floor. Hardy turns and dives into him. Hardy goes back up. He misses the swanton, and MVP finishes the match with a drive-by. So pretty good finish there. And a super fun opener. It had a really great flow. Uh, focused offense by MVP. Some great selling as well by Hardy. Taz even notes that the recklessness of Hardy cost him again, which is a nice payoff. I really liked MVP's power cutoffs to all of Jeff's springboard offense. It was a real smart match while Hardy kept trying to open the throttle. Uh, and a strong opener. I thought both guys looked great. It was a big win for MVP. I think it's a bit of a actually an overlooked match here to open the show. Scott, I went three and a half stars. Uh, I did as well. Uh, tremendous match. Uh, your match time, 10-10. Uh, yeah, I... I hated to see somebody lose this match, but for the storyline purpose and for kind of the storytelling purpose, I'm okay with this. I don't think this really hurts Jeff Hardy at all uh, with all the confusion with Shelton and everything. I'm okay with this. Uh, again, both guys could, I don't want to say they're bulletproof, but at this moment, either of them losing is not mm -hmm. the end of the world. Um, so it's not that bad, but I thought it was no. a fun match. I think MVP kept, you could tell, I want to say, I don't want to say MVP was winded, but you could definitely tell that, that after wrestling his brother for a good hunk of the year, uh, Jeff obviously is not Matt. So right. I feel, I feel like, uh, MVP needed to kind of adjust himself a little bit. 
because he is a, uh, you know, obviously Jeff goes at a, you know, his motor goes a little faster than, uh, goes a little faster than, um, than Matt's does. So I think MVP had to adjust a little bit. He was a little sweaty and he could definitely tell he, he had to get kicked into another gear, but, uh, I thought it was a good match. I liked the end of the sloppiness of the end, but, uh, you know, MVP gets the boot to the face and gets the win. I'm, I'm okay with that, Tim. Not a terror, not, not a bad match at all. Good start to the show. I think this was the right match to pick for the opener. And uh, we're off to a pretty good start. Yeah, that was my exact comments was this is the perfect opener. The Jeff Hardy pop was massive. Uh, Ross says, which couldn't believe that this is his first SummerSlam since 2001. So Ross mm-hmm. with always the history of stuff, but that feels wrong. But it probably makes sense that he's he's been gone for that long. But uh, the right guy to bring out this opener MVP, I've not always been the biggest fan of, but I thought him and Jeff really got along well together. Uh, you know, for the only thing on openers of is like the heat, the face winning on Hardy, like the crowd was ready for him to win. But given that I think there's probably a storyline with Sheldon Benjamin and that he, you know, misses the Swanton as well. So he kind of had his chance and blew it. I think it makes sense that MVP would go, uh, you know, over here and they give him uh, I, I give it three, three and a, uh, you know, I could, I could think three and a half. Just you guys convince me a little more that MVP winning is probably the right move. So I'll give it three and a half then too. Very good. Maria's backstage. She's with Santino Morella and Beth Phoenix. Santino jokes about Maria falling apart after the breakup and brags about his new love. He says the tabloids are calling them Glamorella. Maria mocks his unibrow, but Beth is into it. Beth reminds Maria that he belongs to her. Uh, Some classic Santino comedy, as always, as we see the early days of Glamorella, a pretty well-regarded team, Scott. Uh, Any background on our next match, which is a winner-take-all tag? Yes, on the 714 Raw, uh, Santino Morella issued an open challenge, which was answered by Phoenix, and she would defeat him in less than a minute and a half. <laughs> uh, the following week on 721, uh, he issued another open challenge. <clears throat> As he said, he wouldn't wrestle any women, and this was answered by the surprise return of D'Lo Brown, uh, hmm. who defeated Morella clean. After the match, Phoenix came out and had a confrontation with Morella, in which the two shared an awkward kiss. And Morella would leave confused. The following week on 728, Morella and Phoenix said that their relationship was strictly business as they defeated Brown and Kelly Kelly in a tag match. And Morella would hug Phoenix to her annoyance and they shook hands only for Phoenix uh, to grab Morella and plant a kiss on him. Uh, the following week on 8-4, James defeated Katie Lee Burchill only for Phoenix to attack her after the match while Morella watched. And they would go to GM Mike Adamley and each demanded a title match for SummerSlam though Adam Lee would make this special tag match with both titles on the line. And the following week on the go-home 8-11 Raw, Phoenix defeated Kelly uh, while Morella did commentary, and Phoenix looked to further attack Kelly until James and Kingston made the save, and Morella challenged James to a match while insulting her family at ringside. Morella would defeat James in an intergender match thanks to Phoenix while the ref was distracted by Kingston. So that's how we get to this very unusual uh, match right now. All right. Like you said, it is Mickey James and Kofi Kingston taking on Santino Morella and Beth Phoenix. Big time match. Uh, both belts on the line. It's a Mike Adamley original, as Cole reminds us. Uh, a real big glow up for Kofi. Nice pop as he comes out here. Uh, brings a ton of energy. Mickey has been a good stewardess of the ship for the women's division, despite these awful bangs she has going on. Glimmerella has come together quickly. The chemistry is clear. Mickey and Beth start off. Mickey's on fire. She's all over with a flurry of kicks into a near fall. 
Beth uses her power to turn the tie, gives a nice back suplex. Santino comes in, barks at Mickey, but she kicks him in the head and then he stooges around. Kofi tags into a pop, goes right to the air with some strikes and some dives. Mickey kicks Beth to the floor, heists up Santino to protect him uh, from Kofi, which uh, Beth does that, I should say. Just a really fun pairing already. Santino snaps Kofi's neck across the rope, gets to work with some basic stuff going after the back. Beth tags and she gets some strikes in on Kofi as well. Some pretty good teamwork, but their control is brief as Kofi clocks Santino and tags Mickey, who runs through Beth with aggression. Mickey works over Santino as well, but that allows Beth to crack her from behind and finish with the glam slam. Uh, pretty great celebration after Beth uh, afterwards with Beth putting Santino on her shoulders. So I thought it was a fun match. It was worked well within the concept. Kofi didn't get a ton of shine, but they made the best out of their time there. Uh, Mickey's fierce attacks were fun as well. And Beth's power offense really carried the show. So well done. Uh, the belt switch made sense to ride the wave of Glamorella, which has gotten over quite a bit out of the gate. Uh, Tim, I went two and three quarter stars. Uh, I went three stars on this. Uh, exactly with the, first thing i wrote when they saw this match is the mike adamly original so this is <laughs> yes. what he brought and i don't think it's stuck really but uh a fun match with four four uh competitors that can kind of all work so they all kind of were going in and out right kind of quick tags quick uh you know you'd see santino gonna uh, hit mickey james then would pull off of it so they did that well right of not just mm-hmm. having them hit a, hit a hit a female i did i did do some uh research and, and pulled from the observer and this is the observer's quote on this match and this is ridiculous that it hasn't been edited out but um, Dave writes, Beth looks like she's dropped some weight, seems prettier and more feminine. I was like, oh, how, could you, how could you write that? Classic Meltzer. So yeah, just Jesus. Uh, so that was pretty crazy to read that as I looked through that, but, uh, ton of fun. This match was a ton of fun. I liked after the match, you kind of mentioned celebration. Not only did he get, get on her shoulders, they kind of, you know, talk about how Beth strong she is, but he also just took the belt from her, which I don't think she was expecting. Like he kind of like yanked it out of her hands. It was kind of jumping up and down with both belts. I, I love Santino. I think is a, a a fun thing, but he's not like a stooge of, of working. Like he mm-hmm. actually kind of work in the ring. So it kind of comes off as, you know, genuine versus just, he's a comedy guy. So, uh, like I said, three stars, Scott, a really fun, fun match and a good after a, you know, good wrestling opener. This is kind of a fun little, you know, cool down for a crowd. Uh, you are exactly right, sir. Uh, I gave it two and three quarters, uh, your match time, a nice brisk five twenty five. So, this was a good match that didn't need to outlive its welcome. Uh, you know, this was a fun little, you know, as there, this is the, a, a big example for me of what the kind of gimmicks we're going to have as we start this PG era of having like, you know, these goofy little, you know, intergender relationships that are professional and kind of, and kind of not. And, you know, you don't know what's going on with Beth and why she keeps doing weird things with Santino. Um, Beth winning back the women's title makes sense. I mean, she held it strong earlier in the year. Um, I don't know why Santino's intercontinental champion. I mean, okay. But if it's it's part of the gimmick, that's fine. Uh, Bummer for Kofi. You know, it was weird after seeing Kofi over the past few years in the New Day Mm -hmm. to see him back with the uh, the Jamaican colors and everything. (laughs) It was just very, and the the totally awful accent was very unnerving. But, uh, but. Early, I love early Kofi. Like, I mm-hmm. love 2008 to, like, 2011 Kofi. He's fun to watch. Yeah, uh, and it does feel maybe a little quick, but I think I can't blame them for jumping on this on the Glamorella train. Like, for once, right. actually, they pounced on something that got over and mm-hmm. strapped them up. Like, I think it made sense to just go all in while this is hot. Right. No, I yeah, that makes sense. I agree. And, again, you know, 
Beth is the best worker in this company. You know, Mickey's like two or three. I mean, she's mm-hmm. definitely top three. But Beth's the Beth's the uh, yeah. is the alpha of the group. So her being champion makes sense. Fun little second match. Again, look, just a little over five minutes. Didn't go too crazy. And uh, uh, crowd kind of dug it in a weird way. All right. Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler set up a long video package recapping the last month or so of the Michaels and Jericho issue, including Sean's eye injury and potential retirement that could be coming based on a doctor reevaluation. And they had said he would publicly announce his future at SummerSlam, which we are now at. So Shawn Michaels and his wife, Rebecca, former Nitro Girl Whisper, head to the ring to a big pop. Sean looks solemn, but he's smiling for the fans. King says Rebecca being here is not a good sign for this announcement. Sean thanks the fans for their support, says he had another appointment with his doctor. And due to complications from the eye, plus all of his past injuries and surgeries, doctors are recommending he retire. Rebecca starts to cry. The fans start to boo. Sean says the doctor left it up to him. And after talking to his family, they decided for the first time in his career, it was time to listen to the doctors and walk away. He's had a great career. He regrets nothing and talks about his first SummerSlam. Thanks to fans who allow him to be Heartbreak Kid and the main event and Mr. WrestleMania. He's also known as the man who screwed Bret Hart, the man who formed Generation X, the man who innovated the ladder match, the man who lost his smile, the man who retired Ric Flair, but now he'll be a full-time husband and father. He knows it's not popular, but it's the right decision. However, before he can finish, Chris Jericho's music fires up and he comes out. He's got a suit on. And uh, he gets booed, of course. He's stoic and he's angry. Jericho says he won't let Sean walk out like this and go out on his own terms. He's not going to take this eye injury, lump it in with everything else. He wants Sean to stand there and admit that Jericho is the reason he's walking away. Sean says if Jericho had any human decency, he'd get out of the ring right now. But Jericho refuses until Sean tells the truth. It's only because of Jericho and nothing else. That's why he's retiring and he wants Sean to never forget it. Jericho's the one who damaged his eye beyond repair, and he has to say it and tell everyone the truth and admit to himself, as well as Jericho, he deserves it. He wants the final moment of Sean's career to be admitting it to his face. All of Sean's accolades and fans don't matter, because the epitaph will read, the man who was forced to walk away because of Chris Jericho. Sean says he'll admit it and sit everyone down at home and tell them that their daddy can't wrestle anymore because of the actions of a vile, selfish, worthless human being. Sean wants Jericho to tell his family that daddy can never be Shawn Michaels again. Or he should tell his own family that he'll never be Shawn Michaels. We get loud HBK chants as Rebecca holds Shawn's arm, tries to get him to leave. As Shawn turns to leave, Jericho pulls him back and throws a punch. Shawn ducks the punch, and Jericho clocks Rebecca in the face. Rebecca collapses. Jericho stands in shock. Shawn checks on her. He's shaking in anger. Jericho leaves as the trainers flood the ring and slowly get Rebecca out to safety to cheers. As she's leaving, we can see her swollen face. She legit took the punch. Uh, just an amazing segment by all involved. It's it's a well-regarded, well-known classic segment. Uh, the payoff was great. Kudos to Rebecca for taking the punch. Uh, we got slow motion replays. You could see that she gets it clear on the on the cheek. Uh, and just great stuff, Scott, as uh, this feud continues to deliver an all-time SummerSlam moment here. Yeah, I mean, whether I mean, I'm sure that was not I'm sure that was not a shoot that uh, Jericho actually landed the punch. Um, unless of course, Sean told his wife, listen, do you mind just taking one for the team? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, Jericho will protect you. And you know, all he did was really, you know, swell her lip a little bit. Right. Um, I mean, and that's, that's the, the kudos right there. Like Rebecca taking it, but Jericho with a perfect punch, I mean, worked punch, like to hit connect sweller, but not knock her out. You know what I mean? Is like, right. that's precision work. 
Yeah. No, it's per- it's it's absolutely perfect. And uh, you know, this probably being the last vest well, we obviously one one of the last two of the PG era uh I'm sorry, the fourteen era feuds. Uh you know, this one and the one that ends the night for us. Uh so they're gonna try and get as much mm-hmm non PG stuff in out of the way as possible between now and whenever they want to end this feud before the TV will really want to start cleaning it up. Um, I was, I was floored Tim that he, that, that, that he actually smoked her. Um, but again, that's a professional for Jericho. He didn't hit her in the eye. He didn't like break her nose or anything. He hit her in a spot where it would look good, but it wouldn't like, you know, like damage her, you know, it was an amazing moment. Yeah, was she ever a wrestler or just a nitro girl? That's kind of really just a nitro girl. nitro girl. Yeah, yeah so pretty great of her to like just take a punch like that, right? You're like you can kind of see like if you're training for it. So I wonder how much they did behind the scenes to get her rated for it. But you know, she was a plus on the uh, acting or real realism of it. Both her like sympathy with Sean and then the aftermath of selling the uh, injury was was just all time. You know, it was a long segment, but it was well done, and the, they never lost the crowd. Like. And uh, these two guys together have been just great before on the lead up to 19. They're amazing. And this little run they're they're great. It was fun to watch. Like you said, there was a long video package before uh, the, 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 the segments, you know, recapping their kind of history together. And then, I mean, just Sean with the all time that you'll never, ever be Sean Michaels and just the look of smugness in, in Jericho is he's just mm-hmm. a great acting. So um, a really, really good st- story. Uh, telling, you know, tough if you maybe could get that punch done. My notes is like in 2022, if you can pull this off. But even looking back, it doesn't look bad, right? In 2008, it doesn't look like, oh, man, I can't believe they did this. So uh, really fun uh, segments uh, for SummerSlam. All right. Todd Grisham and Matt Stryker set up our ECW title match and the attack by Mark Henry on Matt Hardy to set up their match tonight. And that does bring us to our ECW title match as Matt Hardy is taking on Mark Henry. Scott, how did we get here? Well, let us uh, spin the tale. On the 722 ECW, GM Teddy Long presented Henry with a newly designed version of the ECW championship, this big, silver, un-ECW-ish looking belt. And later that night, Matt would defeat Finley, John Morrison, and The Miz in a fatal four-way to earn a shot at that said title at SummerSlam here with Henry coming out on the stage holding the belt up. The following week on 729, Matt and Henry had a confrontation with Henry bending a steel bar in front of Matt, who said that he could fight back while the bar couldn't. And later that night, Matt defeated Colin Delaney in a squash, probably his farewell match, uh, while Henry and Atlas uh, watched and Matt reiterated that he wasn't afraid of Mark Henry. And on the Go Home episode on 812, Matt and Mark Henry defeated Morrison and Miz in a tag match only for Henry to give Matt the world's strongest slam afterwards. So I have comments about that belt, but I'll get to that in a minute. The match is set. All right. Oh, we head to the ring. Mark Henry's run rolls on. He's building a dominant reign, really getting back on track. Hardy's out to a big pop. One of the most consistent wrestlers over the past few years, an interesting spot for him, helping drive ECW forward to mix things up. Hardy's entrance is on point. It's a real badass feel and vibe. Good addition with Tony Atlas as well, adding credence. Hardy attacks with a bell, but Henry overpowers. Henry misses a charge. Hardy hits a twist of fate. Tony Atlas hops in and breaks up the cover for the disqualification. Just a lame finish. Like, I don't know what we're doing. Uh, Atlas beats on Matt until Jeff comes out and makes a save. And the Hardy suplex Henry on the floor to a pop. Complete weak nonsense. 
I, if you're going to go this route, like, just have Henry destroy him. Like, snap and just beat the shit out of him. This was such a soft way to do this. The post-match is whatever. And if you need to save time and want to do like, just have Henry beat the crap out of him backstage and just cancel the match. I, I just would have had Hardy, like, punch Atlas and Henry snap and beat him up with a chair or something if you're going to go this route. So, uh, Tim, I went dud. I mean, I thought this was just kind of a waste on something I was looking forward to as well. Yeah, I feel like if this was a different card structure, I'd give it a, a star. There's only seven matches, and you're going to waste time on this, like, match. Mm-hmm. So it dud here. Like, if it was a longer pay-per-view or back, you know, in, in the 1992 or 91 where they had 14 matches and you want to do this type of stuff, okay, fine. Like, it gets lost, but it's, like, one of your big title matches, and you're going to do this. Uh, my other note was, was somebody injured. I'm guessing just the, one of the segments went long, but mm-hmm. dud here, nothing really to do besides the pop from – Jeff coming out and taking out Atlas, but I I don't know the future of this, but I'm guessing Tony Atlas never fights, so it's a weird guy to kind of beat up, you know, for for a thing. So I don't know where they go from here uh, on that, but yeah, dud 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 on on this card. Scott, yeah, it, it's I don't know why they even bothered. Um, maybe to just kind of show Mark Henry's dominance. The official time was 33 seconds, but even worse is you took the classic looking ECW championship belt. Why didn't they just do, if they thought it was too small, because I, I, you know, that's Vince. He thought the belt was too small for Mark Henry's, you know, hands, which is, which shouldn't have been that big a deal. Cause the big show who makes every belt look like a foam belt when it's in his hands, carried around the other belt for almost all of 2006 and never did anything about it. And now all of a sudden, now that Mark Henry is champion, you have to change the belt to this mm. this big, very unlooking right. WWE. I mean, the, the I mean, is it a nice looking belt? Yes, but is it an ECW championship belt? Absolutely not. I would. I mean, maybe make it dramatic if you want to clean it up. Put like blood drips on it or some shit. I don't mm-hmm. know. At least make the, the 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 belt strap red or something. I don't know. But it looks nothing like an ECW belt. It looked like a typical sanitary you know me being a belt junkie i catch these things and it's just a sanitary bland boring belt and i feel like that's where we start getting into the run very soon of boring looking wwe belts and this was the start of it this was such a vince thing okay we're done with their toy looking shit belt from the 90s this is my ecw belt and i'm sure they all looked at it went oh this isn't really an ecw belt this is like vince's third wwe title belt i don't know so I don't know. I know it had nothing to do with the match, but it just I had to I, I was looking forward to ranting on it because that, that belt always pissed me off as it's not an ECW belt. It's a WWE belt that just has letters on it. It's, it's fucking stupid. As for the match, it's crap. It should never have happened. If you didn't want this match happening, then, yeah, just have Tony Atlas say something stupid to Mark Henry uh, to a Matt Hardy and have Mark Henry just, you know, throw him into the fucking door right. or some shit or something and just move on um, and have, you know, Teddy Long come out and say. Um, listen, have Teddy Long come out and say this match is canceled, but we're going to give you an ECW match and then have a fucking tag or something. Get some other guys or whatever. I don't know. Um, something to fill the hole if you really need to. Um, uh, but yeah, this is just a, this was just stupid garbage. So, um, and that's it. Not much more to say. Dud. Do you, I think it's, is this the first dud in our new, since we've gone back to the. Because I know you uh, and I try to, I know you and I try to avoid duds as best we can, but sometimes they're not, they're not avoidable. I'd have you know. to look back, but yeah, it looks like maybe, maybe the first zero we've given. 
we've had a couple like 0.75s, 0.5s, but yeah, this might be the first zero. Okay. Yeah, it's a shame. All right, Colin King reset. They plug the mobile poll on whether or not Edge and Vicky Guerrero will get a divorce. We then get the hype package for our World Heavyweight Title Match, which features CM Punk defending against John Bradshaw Layfield. Scott, tell us about how JBL became our number one contender. Uh, because they wanted to make Punk look bad. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> on the seven on the seven twenty one Raw, Batista demanded a rematch against Punk, of course, because Batista always gets rematches. Only for JBL to interrupt and say that he was the one that deserved a title shot, and Punk would come out and lay say that he didn't have to listen to JBL as he accepted Batista's challenge. Later that night, Batista defeated Punk by DQ when JBL got involved and brawled with Batista until John Cena made the save. Uh, the following week on eight on seven twenty eight, JBL told Shane McMahon that he deserved a title shot, only for Shane to tell him to take it up with the new GM. And later that night, Punk defeated William Regal while JBL did commentary. After the match, JBL confronted Punk until Kane came out. Jesus, these fucking guys all over the place. And attacked JBL until Punk kicked Kane in the head, but JBL would recover and take Punk out. The following week uh, on 8-4, uh, GM Mike Adamley forced Punk to face JBL and Chris Jericho in a handicap match. Where if Jericho or JBL got the pin, they would earn a title shot that the uh, with that title shot, though neither would get a shot if Punk won. Adam Lee would later add a stipulation that the match would have a 10-minute time limit, and if the match went to a draw, it would be a triple threat between the three men at SummerSlam. JBL would end up pinning Punk to win the match and earn the title shot here. And on the 8-11 Raw, Punk and JBL had a confrontation as Punk vowed to leave SummerSlam as champion, while JBL said that Punk had gotten nothing but fluke wins and he challenged Punk to a drinking contest, which Punk refused, though he would offer toast by throwing a shot glass of whiskey in JBL's face. And uh seems very forced, but here we are. It is. Uh, you know, like we said, we saw JBL win that feud with Cena, and probably, too, to set him up here. So he got rebuilt through Cena to set him up as a threat. I think he's a fine gatekeeper, like, for Punk to get established. We'll just see how it's presented. Uh, Punk, of course, being presented not as really a top guy, but as a top guy. I mean, he's like fourth on the top here on the biggest mm. card right. of the show and uh, not really established yet as a quote-unquote world champion, just a guy that happens to have the world title. A really good pop for Punk as he comes out. We'll see if he can prove himself. Goes right at JBL. JBL sneaks into his offense of hard punches and grinding submissions right off of that. Cole talks up the stark differences these two have uh, out of the ring. Punk uses his speed to dodge the attack. And lands some offense, capped by a tope to the floor. Punk keeps flying around, but eventually gets caught. JBL, it's a super fallaway Sam for two. Punk works the back with his usual methodical, uh, I should say, JBL targets the back, his usual methodical attack. Punk tries to strike back, but JBL grounds and pounds. Simple offense on the back. Gets the near falls, mix of basic submissions. Punk pushes free and tries to go to sleep, but JBL slips out and it's a hard clothesline and then keeps up the barrage. JBL picks up the pace with his attack, but Punk counters with a clothesline or counters the clothesline from hell with a leg lariat to the jaw. But they slam heads on the way down, and JBL gets busted open. JBL clubs Punk right back down, but he's slow and he looks dazed. And Punk finishes him quickly with the GTS. I thought the match actually started pretty hot, uh, but stalled as it got to the middle with all JBL's offense. It picked up late and then got hot again as it brought the crowd into it. I think JBL really got messed up when they banged heads. Uh, it was time to go home anyway, so it's like they cut it too short, but he definitely looked like he got wrong on that spot. Uh, Punk needed a big clean win, so he gets that, and I went uh, three and a quarter star, Scott. 
yeah, I gave it a dud. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I gave it uh, three stars. I did enjoy it. Uh, mm-hmm. Your time, 1029. I feel like they both got smoked because uh, JB, JBL hit the ground and Punk had no, like, give. So, I right. they, I mean, they smacked hard yeah. at the end there. So, I think they were both a little. I think they it was both tough to watch. Run. Yeah, it, was, it, it looked like it hurt. Um, other than that, I didn't think the match was terrible. And I'm not, you know, I know we all think that, you know, JBL probably didn't deserve the spot. And he probably didn't. But I feel like. This was a this card was a little and we'll get more into that when we do our, our our recap at the end. But I mean, this card actually was for the first time in a while, very non title heavy. And I think that that's why, you know, putting JBL here doesn't really hurt anybody, per se. Uh, Punk did win. So it's a big win for him. Probably his biggest win of his WWE career. Um, you know, and. uh you know, I think JBL gave it a go. It was a solid match. Punk doesn't look terrible here. And uh, I, I, I feel bad as to what happens for to him, you know, in another month, which we'll talk about. But I don't know, Tim. I was fine with it. It was a decent-sized match. It, 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 it served its purpose. And, uh, and Punk gets the win. Um, but the middle part did, did get a little slow. But it's just good enough for me to give it three stars. I might have given it two and three quarters. But with Punk winning... It actually gave me the extra quarter star. Yeah, I'll give it a two and a half one because I just don't. Even though I you know watched Great American Bash before this and JBL beat Cena and kind of looking like it, I just don't. I never took him credibly as a superstar. I don't know. Never think thought he was going to ever win these type of matches. Like I just, I, he never got to me as a big name star. And they're trying to put uh, CM Punk. It seems like maybe a little bit as starting to be a star of their company, right? They, I think that next year they really make that push. Uh, they definitely both busted each other open right and i think someone said it about uh you know going early home i think that's probably mm-hmm. true and Meltzer kind of mentions it too uh mm-hmm. it's kind of being sloppy ending uh probably you know because they were both kind of out of it so it, it maybe ruined it a little bit but maybe the right move just to even go home and finish it up um so two and a half uh nice to see uh see um <clears throat> punk wins he kind of after a match kind of makes him look like a bigger superstar just like hanging over uh uh JBL and kind of holding up the belt real high kind of looks like a, a superstar starting to get that way. Uh, so I, I think definitely a, a good win for him, like these, you know, title win matches or title, big title challenge and having him win kind of clean uh, probably helps him as a superstar. All right. We see the great Kali warming up backstage and we get a hype package for our next match, which is the WWE title match. Triple H defending against the great Kali Scott. How did great Kali get back into the title picture? Because uh, there was nobody else. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there was nobody else. No, there was. Um, on the 725 SmackDown, uh, Kali would win a six-man battle royal to earn a WWE championship match at SummerSlam. And Triple H would come out after the match and had a stare down with Kali. On the 8-8 SmackDown, Triple H and Kali faced off in an arm wrestling match surrounded by broken glass with Triple H nearly winning until Kali hit a headbutt. And Triple H would battle back only for Kali to block the pedigree as he hit Triple H with a chop and forced him to pass out with the vice grip. And on the 815 SmackDown, Triple H cut a promo on Kali and defeated Kenny Dykstra in a squash. While Kali and Singh uh, watched, Triple H and Kali would brawl after the match with Triple H sending Kali over the top to the floor with a clothesline. All right, so pretty simple stuff here. Kali still hanging around this world title scene, picking up title shots. Still believe it was a threat. 
the question is, can the champ carry him? That's what it always is. So a big test for Triple H. Uh, he's been on fire, though, here in 2008. Big pop for Hunter as he comes out. We get a stare down to start. And then Hunter tries to punch Kali out of the way and even tries an early pedigree. Kali catches him on a charge. It's a tree slam. Goes right to the head vice. Hunter is panicking and trying to escape. The crowd is all in here as Hunter fights back and goes to the legs. Kali knocks Hunter outside to take back over and kicks away in the ring. The crowd chants, you can't wrestle as Kali goes to the nerve hold. After some more strikes, he keeps pushing through that for a while. Hunter hits a face buster. Kali ends up tied in the ropes, giving Hunter a chance to mount his comeback. But instead, he ends up running into a boot. Hunter tries a pedigree, but Kali dumps him outside. Hunter trips him up and bashes his leg into the post, but Kali pushes through and slugs him down. Kali grabs a head vice again, but Hunter breaks free. They struggle a bit, and he hits the pedigree to win uh, to a big pop. Uh, this is pretty well done. They told a simple story of Hunter knowing he has one kill shot. He's got to find his way to it. Kali kept it simple. His offense, they didn't try and do too much. Kali also got off to uh, really show off a bit. Uh, Hunter didn't kill his heat or anything. Just barely survived and found a way to hit the finish. So, Tim, I thought Hunter's uh, strong reign continues. I went two and a half stars, and this was a perfectly acceptable little match. Yep, same. Uh, I felt bad for Kali with the you can't wrestle chance. I just... A little rough because he wasn't terrible in this. Like I get maybe he's not credible as a all-time you know uh, heel, but uh, I thought he did some good things. I liked his choke slam on Triple H. Uh, his nerve hold, just because I'm watching Yokozuna, he does it so much better than Yokozuna. Actually moving around and kind of swaying his weight, not just using his arrest spots. Um, you know, they did do a couple of the you know bigger guy moves where Kali, of course, uh, got caught in the ropes, which is like classic any big guy, right? Gets caught at the Andre the Giant move of getting caught in the ropes and Triple H taking advantage of him. They told the story, right, of him trying to hit the pedigree, couldn't do it, and then you know, in the end, finally hits it, gets a big pop over, uh, you know, the kind of throwaway title match, maybe, but it wasn't bad, it was entertaining, and I thought the only thing bad about it was just the crowd chanting, You can't wrestle, I think, because was, you know, just a little mean, right? Because Kali wasn't that bad, I thought, uh, in his match. Especially, I'm watching it right now in the replay, and his chokeslam is pretty impressive. Like, he gets triple H up there, he throws him pretty far, and looks looks like a beast on the face-to-face. So, two, I'd go the same as you, uh, JT, two, two and a half. Uh, Scott? Time well. to play the game! <laughs> <laughs>
Scott, what'd you think of this match? <laughs> I thought I thought you didn't think much of the match. I thought I'd have to do it acapella. I was ready to do it. I was ready to do the whole thing. <laughs> it's amazing. Now you knock me off. That's got to do with acapella. Um, I had a feeling when we were talking about that song on the uh, pop culture corner that uh, for the first time in, I don't know, I don't know how long was the last time you added a song. Um, anyway, uh, the match was five stars for me. I mean, it was the greatest <laughs> match at Dominic. No. Uh, listen. Uh, I don't know what you could make out of it. <laughs> it was, um, I gave it two and a quarter. Uh, <coughs> the big thing is, <coughs> excuse me, um, 10 minutes even for mm-hmm. uh, for that match. Um, this is an unusual creative situation for Triple H because normally he's not a baby face facing a bigger guy. He's usually a heel facing a bigger guy like Taker or, you know, somebody like Batista who's usually slightly bigger than him and something like that. So, Creatively, actually, this is a very unique situation. So in that aspect, I was kind of looking forward to it because it's kind of a different scenario for him. Having said that, I wasn't expecting, obviously, any great shakes. But, I mean, it wasn't offensive. It, 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 was, it was a solid enough match between a champion and a challenger. I mean, that's, you know, it, it's, it wasn't anything that had to shake, you know, blow the world up. That's why it wasn't last. <laughs> Uh, same reason why Punk and JBL wasn't last. It just didn't have the gravitas. But it was, uh, I thought it was perfectly fine for what it was. Uh, I thought Kali, listen, the guy has like no fucking legs left. You could see Mm -hmm. it. The legs are all like, he's all kind of bow-legged and everything. He's a mess. So, you know, the deliberate movements is more because he's in so much pain. It's kind of like Andre by like 90, uh, probably 88. so, you know, to Kali's credit, I mean, he did that. We talked we talked about this a lot the, the year before JR in 07 when he was champion. You know, he's doing the best he can with what little he has left in his body. So it was fine. Triple H bumped like a, you know, as, as good as he can for him. And it was it was fine for what it was. Uh, again, another match that didn't overstay its welcome. Ten minutes is perfectly fine. And we move on. I, I you know, this, this, ma- this show just kind of has a very level-headed energy to it it's not like you know it's not SummerSlam, you know 2002 or anything like that but it's also not you know crap either it's not like SummerSlam, you know 93 or whatever so i mean it's but there's like an odd vibe going on Mm -hmm. in the building uh where it's not totally through the roof but it's not totally shitty either i'm curious when we talk about our final grades because i'm not as i was watching this show i i was really trying to like find the middle and this might have been it Right. Um, you know, so I'm okay with it. it. It served its purpose. All right. We get a video package for our next match is the dream match we mentioned earlier. And that is John Cena taking on Batista Scott. How do we get this random match with Batista finally not being involved, uh, in a title match of any sort here? <laughs> I know. Right. It's very, very strange. All right. On the 721 raw Batista, uh, as we mentioned a couple of moments ago, on the 721 Raw, Batista would receive a rematch against Punk for the world title, which ended in a DQ and JBL got involved and Cena would make the save, though he would end up ha- hitting Batista by accident. You know how that shit happens with faces mm-hmm. faces. The following week on 728, the two men confronted each other about the previous week and apologized as both men 
com- comforted each other, uh, confronted each other about the previous week and apologized as both men then staked their claim to a title shot. And Cena would challenge Batista to a match, though Shane and Stephanie McMahon came out and said they were already locked, uh, uh, booked in a tag match. At the end of the night, Batista and Cena would defeat JBL and Kane in a tag match when Mike Adamley was announced as the new GM of Raw, and he would make Cena Batista for SummerSlam. On the 8-4 Raw, both men cut promos on each other regarding their match, and we also saw video packages on the two men. And later that night, Cena and Batista defeated Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase to become world tag team champions, as that uh, Vince McMahon trope Mm -hmm. continues. On the that's fucking stupid. <laughs> on the eight eleven Raw, the two men had a confrontation as they discussed their careers to that point, and would end up shaking hands out of respect. And later that night, they would lose the tag titles back to Rhodes and DiBiase, and came to blows with security keeping them apart during the night. A poll was held as to who was the bigger star: Cena at seventy three percent, Batista at twenty seven percent. I don't totally believe that. During the match, Cena would suffer a neck injury and would be out of action until November. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here we are. All right. Let's dive in. Big time dream match. The one they had to do it with their, in their prime, so I'm glad they did it. Uh, it's a big draw without another title match being involved. It feels like a battle of the gods. It's right in Batista's wheelhouse. He's had the 60 months of Haas Wars. We get big entrances by both. The crowd kind of split for Cena. It's the definition of big match feel. Cena controls early with power. He smirks as Batista seems a bit surprised. Cole notes it. Batista roars back, even with early moves and strikes. You feel like two monsters battling. Even a suplex. This feels like a huge move. Constant back and forth of big blows. Cole does a good job weaving in the story of Cena saying he did it on his own while Batista needed flair. And right on cue, Batista goes to figure four to a pop, which is awesome. Cena gets the first real big shot in uh, with an FU over the top to the floor. And it's all over Batista. The crowd buzz is great. They're fully locked in. Uh, to this match. Batista avoids an FU, uses his power offense to batter Cena. Cena comes back and gets the STFU dead center in the ring, hooks it for a while, but Batista eventually drags him to the ropes to break it. Batista counters an FU with a rare naked choke, which looked great as well, as Batista opens up his offense. We get a great near fall out of Batista's spear. So well done. Cena counters the scoop into an FU. He just deadlifts Batista up. The power on display by both guys is insane. The crowd is molten. They never quiet down this whole time. Continuing to throw bombs into power spots. Cena tries a top warp leg drop, but Batista catches him, hits a power bomb for a great near fall. Epic. But a moment later, Batista just kicks Cena in the head and finishes him clean with the Batista bomb. A massive win for Batista to beat John Cena clean here. Uh, just an all-timer. I love this match. I thought it was a classic cost sprint. Two gods throwing mega bombs all match with a wild crowd buzz, intense commentary. Both guys felt dead even, have tons of great near falls. The power spots were in awe. Uh, both guys are wiped after selling how exhausting it was as they both barely survive. It's a massive win for Batista as Cena continues to scuffle in big matches. To me, it felt like Hogan Warrior Light, uh, which is fitting in these two titans. Just two dudes, two mega stars, two gods just throwing down bombs. Uh, going all out, Scott. I went four and a quarter stars. I think this match is criminally underrated as a classic and it holds up really well over time. Uh, I agree with you 100%. Uh, 1350 or match time. Oh, I love it. 13 minutes and just a, a war. Yep. I gave it, I actually uh, went a little bit higher. I gave it four and a half. Mm. I love, love your Hogan Warrior uh, comparison. That's what I thought. Um, even. Almost sort of like uh, Rock 
Austin 17 before the heel shit at the end. Uh, just two great workers and two mega stars um, who have been on opposite shows for, you know, what, three years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now finally getting it on. And I'm glad there's no title. And I mean, them winning the, the tag belts is so fucking dumb. I mean, that's just such a dumb Vince thing. I, I fucking hate it. They did it. He did it with Cena and Sean the year before. I absolutely hate that trope. Hate it. Um, I like it for heels. Like Triple H and Austin is the two-man power trip. I like it for heels. I hate it for baby faces. I think it's stupid. Um, like, I hate when DX does it and all this other, right. you know, down the line. I, it's dumb. Can't you just have two guys look at each other and go, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. And I'm going to be honest, and I normally don't say these kind of things. I hate conspiracy theorists and stuff, but I think that 73 to 27 poll is bullshit. Mm. I'm sorry. It's bullshit. I mean, I, I mean, how many, what is it, all kids? The, the disparagement in the WWE, not counting, you know, fucking 12 rounds or whatever the hell else Cena was in or whatever. Uh, it is not that big a disparagement. And now we look ahead and Batista's been in better movies. So <laughs> over right. the great scheme of things. So I guess my point is, I know that internally, internally, the company thinks Cena's the bigger guy. I think we're all, I think we all, at the time, we all felt that 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 was what they thought was -hmm. it the truth no no uh batista has the same swagger he's kind of like a a swarthier john cena but the same popularity i think fans dug him i think they like his power moves i think they like his look his charisma his the you know the total package and he's better than luger uh (laughs) um (laughs) sorry drew wardlaw um but cena is the wwe's guy Having said that, Batista winning this match was absolutely right. Absolutely right. And now you got Cena kind of in a mini slump. You know, he lost. It's back-to-back shows now. He lost the bash. He lost that match to JBL. He loses here. Uh, and that's okay. This was a good year for, for Cena. This is kind of, after two years of practical invincibility as WWE champion, now it's time for to Cena to kind of make his main event bones a little bit, you know? Before being able to go back on top. So I have no problem, Tim, with, with with Batista winning here. And I agree with JR. This is a very, very, you know, sneaky good classic. But it's kind of match JR that I'd like to see what Chad thinks of it. Because, I mean, that's, you know, his kind of expertise makes me think that maybe this is a very sneaky good all-time match of the decade in the 2000s. You know, Tim, I don't think anybody thinks about it like that. But I really do. And again, JR, I love the Hogan Warrior, you know, light comparison yeah I, I gave four and a half as well uh you can jt you kind of mentioned the big time feel the only thing i think that made it on big time feel was the fact that it was an indie like kind of a real spot to have it but the crowd i thought was great for this match they were yep. crazy they're into it both ways there was i didn't really hear any boos you know they did the yeah boos but there was no boos like they didn't switch to one side like they were both everyone was cheering for their guy uh, I agree with you, Scott, too. I hate that was one of my first notes. Hate the tag team title move. And I'm also not the biggest fan of the STFU as much as I'm a Cena guy. I just don't like it. But I liked how they did the multiple um, submissions. Like they all kind of went for different submissions at first. And then they went to a power offense. Right. It, it was uh, earlier you mentioned that Flair was uh, fired. Uh, but they mentioned him in the match. So that's kind of interesting. I would have not known that he was gone from the company. 
because uh, they did the figure four and they talked about how he likes to be like his idol, Ric Flair. So that was kind of cool. I actually wish the only thing I would have wished on the ending is that that leg drop into the power bomb. I wish that maybe had been the finish. I know you want the, it's so over to get your finisher over the Batista bomb, but I thought that move was so crazy. The crowd bit on it like crazy, but I thought that might have just been a better ending. Like, hey, Cena went for a big move and, and failed. Maybe could have run something like that, but a great match. Like I said, four and a half, tons of fun. Both guys look like megastars and the crowd. It was definitely like a face first face, right? A big time face first face where no one was being booed, right? It was everyone mm-hmm. liked their guy, but they respected the other guy. So tons of fun. And, you know, kind of you were kind of mentioned how this this, you know, this show is going. The crowd wasn't out of the other matches, but it didn't kind of feel like a big time SummerSlam, you know, after the maybe the first two matches. Uh, or after, maybe after the Sean segment, they, but it was kind of on a little bit of a lull. Uh, this would brought it back to like a big time feeling. And I think the next match as well. So uh, pretty fun, fun stuff and good stuff from the indie, indie crowd. Agreed. They really delivered too. It made it have such a special atmosphere for this match. So it's crazy. It wasn't the main event, um, which I, I get why, but looking back, maybe could have been. All right, Ross and Taz reveal the final poll results, uh, and it's 78% yes that Edge of Vicky Guerrero will be divorced soon. The cell lowers. We get a video package for, yet again, the few that's dominated uh, late 07 into 08 and beyond. And uh, Scott Criscolo, how do we get to our what looks to be potentially the final chapter in this war? Uh, probably the last chapter of one of the last uh, TV14 uh, feuds. Uh, on the 725 SmackDown, Edge apologized to his betrothed, Vicky Guerrero, for his actions as he claimed that Alicia Fox was too aggressive and he wanted everything to be perfect for their wedding. So she seemed to accept his apology before telling him that in her anger towards him, she reinstated The Undertaker. Of course, he was retired or forced out as uh, at, uh, at Extreme Rules at uh, One Night Stand. Uh, and announced that Edge would face Taker at SummerSlam inside Hell in a Cell as she laughed. It was actually one of Vicky's best moments. On the 8-1 SmackDown, Edge hosted the Cutting Edge and announced his guest was someone that knew Taker better than anyone, and that was SmackDown announcer Mick Foley. And he asked Foley for advice on how to win, and Foley said that he once called Edge the greatest WWE superstar at the time. He said that Edge relied too much on Vicky and took too many shortcuts as he reminded Edge of what he was capable of. And he said that Edge had to be the rated R superstar and not the Edge that he currently saw or Taker would tear him apart. Edge said that he understood as he would lay waste to Foley by putting him on a table and coming off a ladder while driving a chair into Foley's face before standing tall. And this would end up being Foley's last appearance on TV for three years. I don't think he was that bad an announcer. He wasn't great, but he didn't suck. I liked him a lot. I thought he was great. Yeah, I don't know. And I thought Vince ruined him. So Yeah. Yeah, and I think I fully probably didn't like being constrained either. No, he hated it. Yeah, he talks about it in his third book. I mean, that's why he left. Yeah. Yeah. On the eight eight SmackDown, La Familia found Bam Neely laid out backstage with a black rose by his body. (laughs) Sounds like late nineties taker. Uh, (laughs) later that night, both Hawkins and Ryder were also found knocked out backstage with black roses by them. Uh, what's next? The children of the night. Chavo and Vicky would go to Edge and ask for his help, which Edge accepted, though it had to be on his terms. And the three would come out at the end of the night and call Taker out. But Edge would hit Chavo in the back with a chair and gave him the concerto while Vicky watched. And Edge would tip Vicky over in her wheelchair as he vowed to take La Familia and Taker to hell with him. Uh, on the 815 SmackDown, Victoria uh, would be at Vicky's side until she brought Vicky to her limo where Edge was waiting outside, uh, inside. And he would put Vicky back in the wheelchair and wheeled her around backstage while taunting her. 
At the end of the night, he would bring her to the ring and showed a video package of the last month as he said everything was her fault, and he vowed that Taker would burn in hell with him at SummerSlam. And this is to date, as of right now, the only Hell in a Cell match in SummerSlam history. All right. That makes sense to me. See if we ever get another one. Here we go again. Like we said, feuds dominated this year and had some middling results on the whole, honestly. I've not been too impressed. I was actually kind of glad this is it. Uh, A lot of the matches, as has been Edge's really patterned throughout the last couple of years, is when the nonsense starts, the match picks up, but the first half has tended to be very sluggish. So we'll see if it continues. Edge has become a madman on SmackDown. His kingdom has crumbled around him. He's trying to drag down Vicky to hell along with him. We get the usual long Taker entrance. It hits hard. The molten crowd's been on fire. Taker chucks Edge around a start, slams him to the cell, shoots him around the ring, bringing out a lot of anger after a tough year. Taker's really bringing the heat, moving at a good pace. He beats on Edge, who just looks dead as he stooges around. Edge finally turns a tide. He's an elbow off a snake eye, slings Taker to the steps. Edge works through some offense, works in some weapons, which is a specialty. So maybe things will be more energetic here. Uh, Taker tries to make a comeback with a choke slam, but Edge dodges it. Edge uses a chair, pace Taker with it, keeps him down as he sets up all sorts of booby traps around the ring, which is an interesting approach. Edge eventually scales a ladder with a chair, puts Taker through a table with it, just like he did to Foley. Taker comes kicking back into things. We see a nasty bruise on Edge's side. Edge posts Taker and spears him through the cell wall to cut him back off. We get a big pop as the cage rips apart. They brawl to the floor from there. A lot of weapon shots and strikes and a running edge spear off one table through another. They find their way back inside. La Familia is watching backstage. Edge is wobbled as he tries to figure out his next play. He grabs a video camera, uses that, which is a callback to Survivor Series 07, where this feud all started. Taker counters a spear with a massive choke slam. Edge roars back, but he can't finish off Taker. Taker to last ride, but Edge kicks out again. That leads to a flurry of near falls and kill shot attempts, but neither guy stays down. Edge tries old school, but he gets crotched. Taker grabs him, choke slams him off the top through a table stack in a nice spot. Taker then wants to finish with a flurry of receipts, hitting a spear, a nasty concerto, and finishes Edge with a tombstone. We see La Familia backstage giving a golf clap as Edge lies dead in the ring. Taker starts to leave, but he sees Edge moving, so he goes back, puts Edge on a ladder, sets up a second ladder, and we get random Undertaker images and static cutting into the video. He choke slams Edge off of it through the ring, and the hole bursts into flames. And that's the end of the show. I thought this finally delivered, uh, but it played into Edge's strengths of being a pure garbage match, not slowed down by his ring work. He excels in the chaos. The crowd was into it. The weapons work was unique and well done. Not the same old stuff. A lot of big spots down the home stretch, just a pure destruction. It feels like a grand finale. Two guys who wanted to kill each other for good. Taker finally puts Edge down, and it feels like he's dead. Ends up of a worthy main event spot despite the Gladiator War, Gladiator War before it. Uh, time for both men to really move on from here, but it really hit. I thought they delivered the classic we've been waiting for, Tim. I ended up going four and a half stars, which surprised me, but I liked it better than all of their previous matches here in 08. Yeah, I gave it uh, four stars. Uh, you know, you kind of talked about so this match, you know, the other match been the main events. And I think the way they did this with the long entrances, the big show of it, the big cage, they made it seem like at the main event. So I like that. Uh, I like that I just kind of went with the moves like he had been doing in the promo package, the Foley chair shot, the concerto, mm-hmm. like kind of everything he'd already done. So really well plotted out. 
uh, you know, they kept showing Vicky and the family back on TV. I was actually shocked they didn't make an appearance. It might have probably made it better. Like, Taker doesn't need a run-in from Vicky Guerrero to win the match. But, you know, it's kind of weird they kind of brought that up during the match versus just letting the two guys go at it. The spirit of the outside was an awesome, cool idea to get them outside and do something, you know, different than the LSL. I don't know, this was like the eighth or tenth sell on the cell, so you got to kind of get creative a little bit. So I thought that was an awesome way of doing it. Um, I like the old school by Edge. Like, that definitely pissed off Taker. And then I love Taker throwing him through the the tables. I thought that should have been maybe it, just because it was such a unique, different spot. Let's find another tombstone. Uh, and then I do like the ending of it. I wonder how many people were kind of leaving at the time. You know, Taker's kind of got the story, but it was an awesome throw, like well planned out. I mean, that could have really gone bad uh, with Edge, like throwing him off into the ring and do like an unmarked spot. But it came off really clean and pretty awesome. So the ending was pretty cool. Four stars and definitely made it seem like a good ending, like not a downer of a of a, of a match after Batista and Cena kind of stole the show. So four stars, Scott, uh, the fun, fun match, fun ending. Uh, and a lot of fun, cool spots. Uh, I concur. Uh, I gave it four and a half. Second straight four and a half for me. Your match time. Longest match of the night. 26-44. Um, what I love about watching Taker in his Hell in a Cell match. He's very different. Because obviously the two biggest Hell in a Cell guys are, are him and Triple H. And they wrestle Hell in a Cell matches differently. Uh, 90% of the time Triple H is... Uh, um, cell matches involve a title So it's a different philosophy Psychologically When you're telling the story Because it's about Triple H protecting something 90% of the time In Taker's case Most of his cell matches are usually Feud enders involving revenge Like an old school cage match in the 80s So I love watching That's why Hell in a Cell is my favorite Gimmick match of all time Because I feel like every Hell in a Cell has a different vibe to it, particularly when you're talking about Triple H and Taker because they have the, they're the ones with the two most cell matches. So here, you know, you got Taker, who's this weird mind fuck involving La Familia, and you got Edge, who's on an island to himself. He's almost like a baby. No, he's not really a baby face, but he's kind of like like a on on his own here. He's like I'm I'm just here for me, and that's it. You know, Foley brought something out of me again, and it's time for me to 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 you know end this now. And I think they, they really went out there seeing that Cena and Batista tore the house down and knew that being the last match, they had to, they had to go with it. They had to, they had to, you know, hit the gas and not stop. And knowing they were going to get twice as much time as Cena and Batista did uh, means that they had to really go the extra mile. And I agree with you, Tim. There were a lot of fucking unique spots all around this match because um, again, you know, plenty of cell matches, uh, but for Taker, it's always a revenge thing. 90% of the time, Taker matches involve revenge, whereas Triple H cell matches usually involve protection or an acquisition attempt. Mm -hmm. There's very rarely a Triple H cell match that doesn't involve a belt. Him and Jericho at Judgment Day 02 is probably the only one that comes to my mind. Um, Otherwise, almost every Taker cell match is, involves revenge or retribution. Yep. And so it's a very different story to tell. And that's why I love watching the two of them in, in cell matches because they're very different. Great ending. Yeah, the, you know, the fucking fire through the whole thing is kind of hokey. But in fact, as a matter of fact, at one point, you kind of notice the fire kind of blew through under the apron at the bottom left. I looked down. I'm like, oh, I'm glad that didn't catch fire. <laughs> fucking polyester, <laughs> whatever uh, apron didn't catch fire and kill everybody. But um, 
I, but I'm not, I'm not even joking. When I saw the black, when I remember the black roses and I'm like, oh man, it's like fucking 95 take or whatever, you know, the children of the night going to sit at ringside, you know, um, great ending. Glad this feud finally has reached its conclusion. Uh, but it turns out WWF's in a very, WWE's in an odd spot here because now we find out we don't have Cena. He obviously got injured, so he's gone for a while. Edge is going to obviously take time off for the second straight year at this time of the year. And now dumb fuck Orton gets hurt again. So at this moment in the middle of 2008, we have no Orton, no Cena and no edge. That sucks. So interesting conundrum here Mm -hmm. um, over the next couple of months, but thank God for two guys that save the next couple of months for this company. And those guys are Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho, but we will tell that story over the next couple episodes. Um, for the over the next couple of pay-per-views, uh, great match, four and a half stars. Again, after a show there where I couldn't really figure out the energy level, these two shows, these two bangers at the end, really pushed it for me. So my grade might be a little different than what I thought about half an hour ago when we were on the middle of the show. But what an ending to the show! Great ending, no doubt. <clears throat> All right, let's have a great ending to this show as we talk about our awards. Uh, so a lot of choices for MVP tonight. Um, I don't know. I thought I think we had multiple options on the table, but I ended up going with Chris Jericho. How about you, Scott? Oh man. Uh, um, I was gonna go with Batista, but you're gonna think I'm nuts. I'm gonna go with Rebecca. She uh, yeah. she she took the shot pretty good. She placed herself in the perfect spot for Jericho to hit her in the right place and sold the the the, the lip and. Uh, yeah, I'm actually going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with her because Jericho knows how to do it, but Rebecca got away with, in the, she was in the right place at the right time. And, and she more than even the, the other two made that segment. So I'm going to give it to Rebecca. Uh, Scott, I was going to, I was going to say the same, but especially given her not as a non-wrestler, like that's tough to learn how to do. So uh, if you don't mind me going the same, I'd like to go that. If yeah. that, I'll give, I'll give it on uh, Batista. If you don't let me do the same, but I think, no, I think whatever you my choice. all right, all I right. don't steal, I don't steal your thing, Scott. So. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Not often that. that happens. All right. LVP. I went with Mark Henry. I, I thought it made him look like a real goof. Uh, he's been red hot in this run and this made him look stupid with that finish. Uh, he looked weak. It just it made no sense. I, I agree 100%. I don't even know why they bothered. They should have just scrapped it. They should have just done a, a, a brawl backstage and just cut it out of the show. Yeah, besides him, there really wasn't that much bad. So it's kind of default by him, but it was bad. And it was a dud, your first dud. So yeah, it's got to be him. All right, best match. It killed me not to go Batista Cena, but I had Taker Edge just slightly higher. So that's the choice for me. I, I had both matches even, <clears throat> even, but uh, I'm I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Cena Batista. Uh, it just had a Taker Edge had a storyline feel to it, and that's fine. But Cena Batista legitimately felt like you you to go back to what you said, Jr. Felt like 1990 Skydome, mm-hmm. two titans of the business face to face. Taker Edge was awesome, but I didn't expect Cena Batista to be that fucking good. So I'm, I'm going to go with that. I'm sucking that. Cena Batista. Okay. All right. Worst match. I think we all agree on a Hardy Henry. Yeah. Dud. Yeah. Best moment. I went with uh, Jericho punching Rebecca. Yeah, definitely. Agree on that. Okay. Biggest surprise. I mean, you could probably go that there as well, but I wanted to mix it up. So I want Batista pinning Cena clean. Uh, again, Cena scuffling a bit. 
Batista wins that big battle. I almost was going to go with MVP pinning Jeff because I didn't see that coming. But I'm going to go Batista winning, too. I, I definitely thought after losing the feud to JBL, I almost definitely thought Cena was going to win this match. So I was pretty shocked when uh, when Batista won. I'm going to give it to Great Kali. I thought that match was going to be dreadful, and I didn't think it was that bad. Two and a half stars, I think we all went around that area. So I'm going to give Great Kali just acting better and, and looking more uh, more respectable than you know maybe I would have thought going into this. Hmm. All right, final grade. I like the show a lot. It's, I mean, we're on a hot streak, Scott, like we've talked about it, right? Outside of that dog hmm. shit, sorry, it's been an event. Uh, yeah. We've had a ton of great pay-per-views here in 2008. This one continues the trend. I have it as the best since WrestleMania, and I have it even to, with that, and that's seven and a half out of ten. <sighs> yeah, I mean, like I said, like I was talking about earlier, I was feeling like what was the energy level going to be like for me? Uh, and I look at the shows throughout the year. I've given it eight, eight, seven, six, six and a half, seven, seven and a half, seven, and one and a half of that Serenity main event, but that doesn't really count. Um, was this show better than No Way Out? And I gave that eight. Was it better than The Rumble? And I gave that an eight. Eh, not quite, but definitely better than the others this year. So I agree with you. I'm also going to give it uh, seven and a half. Uh, it almost felt like a six until those last two matches. Mm. And then those those four guys, Cena, Batista, Edge, and Taker, just pushed it over the top for me. So seven and a half as well. Yep. Yeah, I'll go seven and a half as well. I love the, you know, originally I love the run from Royal Rumble to WrestleMania. is like an all-time, I think, like underrated, you know, pay-per-view era. I mean, this this run to it goes just as well. I mean, this is a great pay-per-view as well. So that's they're on a really good run. From Rumble all the way to SummerSlam, see how long they can keep it going. But uh, really fun pay-per-view that I hadn't really seen much uh, that many times. And definitely a quick, easy watch, right? It's only two and a half hours or so. It's not mm-hmm. six-hour watches, so it's a super easy watch. So seven and a half uh, and, a fun, and a fun, you know, hidden gem type episode, especially the last, whatever, hour and a half for the final two matches. Mm. All right, Tim, thanks for joining us. We're going to go ahead and wrap up. Scott will be back in two weeks with our Halloween special. Mm -hmm. Uh, So excited to always break that out, of course, in the spooky season. And then a month from tonight, we'll be back with Unforgiven 2008. So we continue our timeline almost through our second calendar year for the reboot, Scott. It's pretty crazy. Churning along. Absolutely. All right, everyone, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Enjoy the fall weather. Talk to you in two weeks. They did the monster match. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They played the match. It got on in a flash. They played the match. They played the monster match. Out from his coffin, Rack's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the match. It's now the monster match. The monster match. And it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. 
Now everything's cool, Drax a part of the band And my Monster Mash is the hit of the land For you, the living, this mash was meant to When you get to my door, tell them what is sent you Then you can mash Then you can Monster Mash The Monster Mash And do my graveyard smash Then you can mash You'll catch on in a flash Then you can mash Then you can Monster Mash Mash, 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 mash,